Matthew 6, let's jump in. This is now, I think, our fourth out of at least five messages uh, that we're looking at the Lord's model prayer. Uh, And let's just jump right in. Verses 9, this is like the fourth week we've been in these verses. Matthew 6, 9 to 13. Jesus says, so let's really focus, all right? I will probably be a little less energetic than I normally am, if if I can remind myself to be that way. Uh, We'll see. But don't let that rob the text from you. The power is in the text, not in the person reading the text. Notice what God's Word says. Pray, then, like this. Pray like this, not pray this. Pray like this. How? Our Father intimate, familiar, in heaven, reverence, hallowed be your name, consecrated, glorified, exalted be your name. That's really what I want in this prayer. Your kingdom come. Lord, we want your kingdom to come. We want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then today's text, verse 11, and then we'll skip 12 this week. May get to 13 today, we'll see. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. So right off the bat, I was thinking, Jeff, what if someone... After all of these weeks, we're to say, Jeff, I'm st- I still, and by the way, there's someone like this sitting here this morning. You don't know how to pray. You literally, you don't know how to pray. You don't pray. You don't know how to pray. You've tried it a few times. You don't feel like you're talking to anyone, so you eventually quit. Jeff, do you have any basic pointers? Well, my pointers would be what Christ is saying. In prayer, if you don't know what else to do, can I encourage you to do this? Talk to God about God talk to God that's how you pray there's the first steps that's the priority that's the first thing if we do nothing else in prayer talk to God the Father about God the Father the Son the Holy Spirit literally Christ is teaching us our first priority in prayer is the exaltation of God we want his name his person to be exalted once that's in place because we really mean it Lord I love you I want you to be exalted in every way. And because of that, I'm asking you to let your kingdom come. Because when your kingdom comes in a fuller way, we're acknowledging you are the universal king over all things. You are sovereign. But there is this coming aspect of the kingdom. When that comes, you will be more fully exalted. And right on the heels of that, we want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. When your kingdom comes, it will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But even until then, I think what Christ is saying is this. Lord, let your will be done in my life. Quickly go back to last week. Lord, let your revealed, written, moral desires be accomplished in my life and around the world in a greater way. Now, Lord, we're acknowledging there are these predetermined, stated purposes that you have that we know the outline, but we don't know the details. Those are going to happen. You are a God who's going to do what you've stated. 
But, Lord, you have these desires that are not being done, and we're praying for those to be done. And all these requests, this him being exalted in the kingdom, his will being done, those are all connected. And once that's in place, then we will pray our, for our needs and our requests. Uh, several years ago, I used to teach something to a class. It was one of my favorite things that I would ever teach. I'm going to borrow from it two or three times today, so I want to give them credit. You'll see that, I think, in your handout. <clears throat> it's a group called Positive Action for Christ, I think, out of North Carolina. And notice this chart. So I want to jump right in. I want to do a couple of things by way of introduction as we now begin to look at the second half of the Lord's model prayer. So you see across the top, take a look at that chart, and you'll see there's these three petitions. And then you'll see there's each one has a need that it deals with, each one has a specific focus that it deals with, and each one has a specific time that it deals with. And on the left side of your chart, you'll see each of these petitions. Father, would you please give us this day our daily bread? Father, would you forgive us of our debts as we have also forgiven those that are our debtors? Father, would you not lead us into temptation but deliver us from evil? So we have these three petitions that have to do with man's needs. Let's fill this chart in because I, I, I want to make a quick point just by way of introduction over all three of these requests that Jesus says pray like this. Particularly start right there, number one. Give us our bread. What's that dealing with? What types of needs? Write this word. Physical needs. We're going to talk about that in a moment, Lord willing. Physical needs. What is the focus of that request? Give us our daily bread. The focus is our body. The focus is on the body. So it's physical needs focuses on the body. What time frame are we talking about? We need today, present tense. We need in the present. We have physical needs, Lord. We're looking to you for those. Moving on to the second request, forgive us our debts. What is this dealing with? This is dealing with mental needs. We're walking around as we sin, feeling this guilt and this heavy weight upon us. This is, this is in other parts, but particularly in our mental aspect. And so we have mental needs. Christ addresses that in these requests. What is the focus here? Focuses on our soul. What is the time period here? We're talking about something that was done in the past. So I have sinned in the past. It's affecting my soul. It's causing me these mental things to deal with, and I'm bringing those requests to the Lord. Obviously, we then have a third request. Lord, would you not lead us into temptation but deliver us from evil? What are the needs here? The needs are spiritual. What is the focus? The focus is our spirit. You say, Jeff, do you really believe we're body, soul, and spirit? Aren't we just body and then immaterial part of us? I believe that we are three parts, and I don't know the distinction between soul and spirit. I just believe in it because there are passages in the Scripture who allude to us. Now, may your body, soul, and spirit be preserved blameless until the day of the Lord right? Um, the word of God is quick and sharp and powerful, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. So the Lord's prayer seems to address needs that are spiritual needs, focusing on the spirit, and you already know the next word, right? So we have give us our daily bread for the present, forgive us of our past debts, lead us not into temptation, deals with the future. And so with that in mind, take a quick look at that chart, and I would ask you this, since Jesus is not saying pray these exact words, this is an outline of categories that we're going to request certain things from the Lord. I look at that, and I honestly come to this conclusion. I don't know of anything else that is not covered in this request from the Lord. He's covered physical, mental, spiritual. He's covered body, soul, spirit. He's covered past, present, and future. 
And so this is a very thorough thing that the Lord is setting out for us to pray. We pray for His glory first, His kingdom, His will, but then all of our needs are dealt with in the Lord's model prayer. Second thing, by way of introduction over these three things, we keep noticing these pronouns. And so we notice that they're plural. We've alluded to this already. I just want to make a simple, today's message by and large is very, very simple. Very simple. But I pray that as we do this, you will literally be comparing your prayer life to what the Lord is teaching us how to pray. It does no good if all we do is come in here and hear some facts and write some facts and reach some proper conclusions, but we don't evaluate and leave here with an intent to pray more like Christ taught us to pray. And so we notice these words, us. Lord, would you give us our daily bread? Would you forgive us our debts as we? So notice these three things. What is Christ saying? He's saying us Our, we, our prayers must go beyond ourselves. Christ is literally calling all of his people, check yourself, to be praying for other people in an intercessory way. God, would you be be meeting their needs and be meeting my needs? So yes, there's times I pray me, my, mine, I. There are times for that. But often my prayer, my whole tone is us, our, we. And so I love questions. We were talking staff meeting Tuesday. I love questions. I wish I had time for you to just pause. Mike started the service with a 30-second just to pause of trying to focus on the Lord and get our hearts centered and prepared. Can I ask you a question? I love questions. When you pray, who do you pray for other than you? Who's coming to mind? Who's coming to your mind right now? Who do you pray for other than you? Do you pray for missionaries? Do you pray beyond yourself? Really force yourself. Not every day, and please understand, this is not to boost me. But I I thought this, and I said, all right, Jeff, how about you? So a while ago, I I re-ran through my Sunday morning this morning. Give or take, this morning I probably prayed for 40-some people that I think are here today or are in Africa. That's not every day that I pray for each of those people. And many of you are those people, particularly those who are in a leadership position this morning. Do you pray for people beyond yourself? Warren Wiersbe writes the following. Three sentences. Catch what he says. Wiersbe says, we are part of God's worldwide family of believers. He says, we have no right to ask for ourselves anything that would harm another member of the family. Now let that sink in. Have we ever asked that? Have we ever asked for ourselves something that if God were to grant that, it would actually diminish someone else? We have no right to do that. And then he concludes, this is a powerful sentence. He says, if we are praying in the will of God, the answer will be a blessing to all of God's people in one way or another. Does that describe your prayers? Are your prayers beyond yourself? Is it taken into account we're just a part of the whole body of Christ all around the world Are we praying for anything selfishly that's going to harm someone else? Or is the answer to our request a blessing to all who are in the family of God in one way or another? So this morning I want us to notice two things. So here's the plan, all right? So I want us to look at verse 11, verse 13, if time allows, if the voice allows. And then, Lord willing, next week we'll look at verses 12 because we need to tack it on with verse 14 and 15 because Christ goes back to verse 12 after the prayer is completed. So I'm going a little out of order 
perhaps. We'll see if it, we go that far. Number one, don't you dare sit there and pray, and Lord, let his voice go out. I got lunch plans. <laughs> I really want to beat the crowd today. Just let his Okay, if the Lord wants that to happen, that's great. Make sure your prayers are for the benefit of the whole body and not just you. All right. Well, I'm planning on saying that. That just kind of happened. All right, number one, what are we going to pray for? We're going to pray for physical provision. You have permission to do this. Christ is teaching his people. When you pray, you've exalted the Lord. You've sought his kingdom. You want his will to be done in your life and around the world as it is in heaven. Then pray for physical provision. Why would we do this? Very simple. I want us to look at three words. We've already looked at us and we and our. But I want us to look back at verse number 11 and kick out, pick out the key words and spend just a few moments talking about each of those. And one in particular, we're going to spend a little longer talking about it. But first of all, why would we do this? Listen to me. God has, I know this is simple. God has everything that we could possibly need. That's why we're going to go and ask the Lord for physical provision. Look at verse 11. Give, that's one of the words we want to look at. Give us, we've already seen us, this day, we we'll to look at that, our, already seen that, daily, we're going to couple daily with this day, so give, this day daily, and bread. Let's look at the last one first, you ready? What is Christ trying to teach us in this idea of asking the Father for bread? Anybody who's ever taught this would agree and as I say it, it is going to ring true in your ears because it is so. When Christ says pray for bread, what he's saying is all of your physical needs are represented by this one word bread. It is not literally we're only allowed to ask God for bread and anything above bread is more than we're allowed to ask. No, this is us asking God we need food, we need shelter, we need water, we need clothing. We have nowhere else to go. We're going to go to you. We're going to ask you for physical sustenance, all the physical needs. The second thing this word bread shows us, and I want to focus on it for a moment, is let this sink in. God really does care about your body, your body. God gave you that body. God cares about that body. Now, this matters. I said today's message is super simple, but everything in it we need to evaluate all the way through it. Is my thinking correct, and is my action according to this correct? God really cares about our body. If you're taking notes just out to the side. You have to do it really, really small because we had a full handout this week. I want to give you three references, and there's many, many more to go with it. If you want to write down Romans 8, you're going to have to write small, and we'll give you three. Romans 8, 9 through 11. If you want to write that out to the side, Romans 8, 9 through 11. Keep moving quickly. We're actually going to go there, but if you're writing those uh, references in, also write down 1 Corinthians 15, pretty much the whole chapter, 1 Corinthians 15. And then beyond that, you could write 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5. Now, go to the Romans 8 passage. Because I want to make a quick point. Christ is saying, hey, you have needs. Pray to the Father to meet those needs. Bread represents all of our physical needs. God really does care about the body. Romans 8, we go there often because it's such an impactful chapter. Maybe the greatest chapter in the whole Bible. Paul has just said that the people who have a worldly, fleshly mindset cannot please God. They're going away from God. They're, they're making bad investments that are not going to last for eternity. And so he's saying we need to have spiritual mindedness. Don't be of the flesh. Now look at verse 9. He's talking to Christians. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh. You're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, 
in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. That's the if. Can you honestly say, I know the Spirit of God dwells in me. I've seen the evidence of Him. We talked about that a few weeks ago. He then says, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. You don't have the Spirit, you're not a Christian, you don't belong to the Lord. If you have the Spirit, you are a Christian. All Christians have the Spirit. Verse 10. So then if we have the Spirit and we're saved, then everything is just going to get better and better in every way from here on. Hold on. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead. What he's saying is, there's a reason I'm getting more and more gray hair. There's a reason we get sick. There's a reason I have a head cold, right? There's a reason some of you are losing teeth. There's a reason some of you are losing your hair. There's a reason some of you have lost loved ones. This is going to happen. Although the body is dead because of sin, now that's the bad news. That's going to happen. You say, this says we're going to die. I thought I was saved. We are going to die physically, barring the rapture. But other than that, we will die physically. Notice the middle of verse 10. He says, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. It's not our righteousness. It's the righteousness of Christ that was given to us. We now have the Holy Spirit. That has huge ramifications. Let's get our theology right. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now listen, I don't have time to dig into this passage. All I want to say here is your body matters. That body matters. When you think about the coming kingdom of the Lord, do not envision yourself floating around. You will have a body. You say, so as soon as I die, I'll have a glorified body. No, you will not have a glorified body as soon as you die. Those who have passed on into heaven do not yet have their glorified body. They want one. Everything is not perfect yet for them. It is much better than here, but they are longing, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, they are longing for their permanent body. We're longing for one. I want a better one than this one. I want one that doesn't sin anymore, that doesn't get sick and doesn't die. That's going to happen. But when you're envisioning this thousand-year reign and then we head into eternity, then you need to be imagining your physical feet is going to be hitting on a physical earth for for a thousand years on earth and beyond. It'll be different but a lot alike. I can't explain it all. All I know is these bodies are seeds, and they're they're very much sown in corruption and weakness and and dishonor, but they're raised in power and glory and honor. Very different, but it's still that same body. Why, Why are you mentioning this, Jeff? Listen, God cares about the body. Some people, I don't know. I don't know if it's just individual Or I don't know if it's literally demonic oppression that impresses this upon people. But there are many people who think it is spiritual to abuse the body as a punishment for sin. I've sinned. They feel real guilty. They don't deal with sin the way way the Lord says, Give up, forgive, uh, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven those who are debtors against us. They don't deal with it by confession and forsaking and repentance. Their thought is, I need to harm my physical body because I feel guilty. Now listen, if that's your way of thinking or if that is being pressed upon you, stop doing that. Do not think that way. 
There are people who literally each year will crawl hands and knees on cobblestone streets until they're a bloody mess so they can go kiss the toe of a supposed statue of Jesus. That does nothing. Okay, Some, I've heard of a man, and I think I've even seen footage of him or a picture of him. He's had himself crucified multiple times around Easter time, like literally crucified. He goes up for a little while, and then he comes back down. I don't know what his thought process is. Some people, it is simply this, cut themselves, burn themselves, pierce themselves, harm themselves, do anything. Why? Because I need to make up for my sin. I feel guilty. I am a bad person, and I need, to, I need to do this. Stop doing that. All you're doing is discounting what Christ did on the cross. Christ has paid for our sin. We don't, we don't beat up and abuse our bodies. God cares about the body. When Christ was on earth, many, many, I gave you three references a while ago. Really, the Gospels tell the story. What does Jesus do? He feeds hungry people. He heals blind people. Why? He cares about the body. He heals people who can't hear, people who can't speak. He heals them. People who are lepers, people who are crippled, people who have internal bleeding, people whose their bodies are possessed of devils. Christ heals people. Why? He cares about the body. Listen. Jesus is gone, but his body is still on earth. How? What's the body of Christ? Tell me. The church. Christ still shows his compassion for physical needs because he prompts his body to go help those who have physical needs for food and for shelter and clothing and water and filters and healing of all types. That's why today, literally, Christians, I'm not going to say we're the only ones. We are not the only ones. But through the centuries, Christians far and away have taken the lead on helping people who need healing and food and water and clothing and shelter. That's why today we have a group in Uganda. Part of what they will do is exactly dealing with people's physical needs. Why? Because God cares about the body. That's why we have a group that will go this coming week. To Kentucky. Why? Because God cares about the body and some needs will be met for some people who have physical needs in Kentucky. That's why each third Saturday a group goes out from our church and they go help meet people's physical needs. Why? God has prompted people. That's why Michelle and whoever helped her this past week on Thursday took out food to people on Thanksgiving morning. Why? Because God prompts his people, go help physical needs. I care about the body. So Christ says this, you have needs? Pray to the Father. Lord, I need some bread. I need some healing. I need some clothing, some shelter. Very quickly, would you notice the word give? That is a verb. So we have the word give. Give me the noun form of that same root word. Give is implying a gift. Give, so let, real simple, simple message, but we need to hear it. This word give, Christ is saying, when you pray, ask the Father, would you please give us our, give us this day, daily bread. What is Christ trying to teach us? He wants you to recognize all blessings legitimately come directly from God. All blessings are gifts. Christ is trying to teach us. Here's what you're asking for. You're asking for a favor. You're asking for a gift from the Lord. Now, so what's Christ want? What's the lesson of verse number 11, the first word? Give, again, 
All the blessings are gifts. Now, somebody right now is watching online or a little later they're going to watch this online or someone sitting here this morning. And honestly, here's the thought. Y'all can pray all you want. <laughs> I get my own food. I work for my food. I work hard. I get paid, and I go buy my food. I don't need to pray and ask God for food. Can I give a little pushback? Not as much as you're thinking. I'm not going to blast you for that way of thinking. You say, really? Here's all I'm going to say. You're on to something. The main way, everybody needs to hear this, the main way God meets our needs in the physical realm is by our working. The Bible teaches over and over, yes, you work. If you don't work, then you don't eat. But what you need to understand is, though that's the primary way that God meets our needs, God is the one who is responsible for all the fruit of that labor. You can work all you want, but if God doesn't bless it, then you will not have your needs met. It is God who gave you that body, who gave you that brain, gave you those resources, gave you those skills, gave you those open doors, and God gave the fruitfulness of your efforts. Their day, it was very much about agriculture. We still, I'm addicted to food. I like food, so I have to have it. I like meat, things that I, the animals that I eat, they have to eat vegetation. So we really need a lot of vegetation, and I eat a little bit of vegetation with my meat. Okay, I probably need to get that a little better balance, but I like it all, okay? Not a lot of food that I don't like, except sauerkraut. I didn't eat the sauerkraut last night. It's not the worst, it just, anyway, I picked the sausage out of this. Anyway, why am I talking about that? All right, so here's a quick thought. Watch this. God created the seeds, the soil, the showers, and the sun, and you can work all you want. You're never going to have anything if God doesn't provide those. And we live in a very arrogant, that's fine, we don't need the showers, we've got irrigation. Trust me, at any time when God makes the heavens turn to brass, then there will be famine anywhere God deems it to be famine. Famine is a form of judgment, and it is a form of judgment that will be coming later in the book of Revelation in the end times. So we have these words, bread, all of our needs, give, Father, we're asking for gifts, knowing that you are going to lead us to work. But you're the one who's giving us the very strength to work, and you're producing the benefit of the work. But then we have this word, give us this day daily bread. And that's where I want to focus just for a moment as we round out this first thought on physical provision. Father, we need physical provision. Give us this day daily bread. What does this word mean? If you're taking notes, write this down. This daily or this day means near future it means near future. There's some debate. I don't know enough about the Greek language to decipher who's right and who's wrong. So I'm going to say it's a blend of both. When this prayer is prayed depends on what the prayer is actually meaning. Watch. Does give us this day our daily bread. If you're praying this in the morning, it means, Father, we need this day's food. If you're praying this in the evening, you're praying, Father, would you give us tomorrow's food, tomorrow morning's food. Literally, it, it is always the near future. So what's the point? Simple point, but don't miss it. Jesus expects his people to acknowledge our dependence. This is different. Jeff, you've already talked about this. No, I haven't. This idea of daily bread, this day, Christ is wanting us to acknowledge our daily dependence on God to meet our physical needs. Daily dependence. Now, here's the problem with that. Here's the most difficult of these for us to actually grasp and to follow through on. 
I would say that almost all of you and probably every one of you are like me in this. We're like this. Here's what we want. We desire to be well stocked. I want to be well stocked. Catch this. God's desire is for dependent, active trust. I want to be well stocked. I want to have plenty. God says he desires depending Dependent on him all the time, trust. Lord, we're relying, trusting, depending all the time on you. I like well-stocked. It wouldn't be my main request, but I'm going to tell you guys. I'm going to let you in on a little bit behind the door of how Jeff thinks in his warped thinking. If God ever wanted to do me just a non-major but a huge favor, here's what I would ask for. 2,000 prepared future sermons that's what I would love to have that's not my main things there's some things on top of that but if the Lord's like hey throw away throw away request what would you have Lord I would love 2,000 you say Jeff why 2,000 because that I think would get me far enough to where y'all surely wouldn't allow me to stay around here any longer that would take me to retirement if I could have two that I mean by two th- I mean printed edited all my little scribble notes screens handouts downloaded like load the chip uploaded in my soul and spirit i own it i know it i'm pursuing it those kind of sermons 2000 i could do so many other things if i could just you know what i find though god gives one at a time one at a time i don't have wednesday's message yet i hope he'll give it to me between now and wednesday he really seems to delight in this i want you dependent trust i'm not going to give you everything all at once. But, Lord, if I could just really have file cabinets and I would put them in real fireproof, you know, and I'd really make them secure. And, Lord, again, you put them in me. And God's like, no, we're going to give you one at a time. That's what the Lord is desiring. Catch what D.A. Carson writes. Listen to this because it gives us a little picture of what Christ is hitting. We have a hard time relating. Carson writes, the prayer is for our needs. Not our greeds. It's for one day at a time. Reflecting the precarious lifestyle of many first century workers who were paid one day at a time. Now catch this last part. That's literally how many of them they were paid at the end of the day. Here's your, now go buy what you need for the next day. He says, these are the people for whom a few days illness could spell tragedy. If they get sick, you say, how do people become slaves in the Old Testament? They get sick for a few days. They get an injury. Charity happens for a while, but eventually the charity dries up, and they have to go get a loan, and they can't pay the loan back fast enough, and they end up as someone's slave for up to like seven years at a time. That's how it happens. They're literally living one day. And so when Christ says, pray, give us this day daily bread, that hits home with them. Here's the problem. It doesn't hit home with us. Why? Because America is the land of instant water. I am right now, what, about 35, 40, maybe 40 feet from a water faucet that I could go turn on right now. It's plenty for all of it. It is, it is pressurized. It is wanting to come out of there. It's just saying, open up that valve and let me come out. Water. We're the land of instant water. We're the land of preservatives. We're the land of full refrigerators, full freezers, full pantries. 
We have tremendous abundance, and we read this, and we tell ourselves, okay, yeah, I need to try to kind of be more, a little more dependent. But we really are dependent. This is a fact. Listen to the next two sentences I'll share. Millions of children around the world will go to bed tonight not sure if they will eat tomorrow. Millions, I actually will repeat what I just said. (laughs) Millions of children in the world will go to bed tonight, let this sink in, not sure that they will have something to eat tomorrow. A lot of them are where our mission team is right now. They're nearing 7. It's 7.30 over there, probably the next hour and a half, two hours. Little children are going to go to bed. Some of them will know there is food for tomorrow. Many of them will not. But we're talking beyond Uganda, many places all around the world. I read this sentence Wednesday. Malnutrition is the direct cause of death for over 2 million children every year. Over 2 million, not in one country Around the world, malnutrition, the direct cause. And so if you're sitting here saying, okay, Jeff, we get it. I feel really bad. We're the bad Americans. We're terrible. I feel bad about our blessings. The goal is not to feel bad about our blessings. Please don't think Jeff's up here bashing the the blessings that God has given America. That's not my point. What I want you to do is, if you're taking notes, write down these three thoughts because I think this is what Christ is wanting us to get in this idea. Daily bread. This day, daily bread. Jesus is calling us. In my order, I wish, first of all, in my note, I wish I had put a fourth thing, and I wish I would have gotten my order a little bit better. Number one, Jesus is calling us to confess God is the source of all blessings. God, you are the source of all blessings. I would have moved the the third thing on there up to the second spot and give him thanks for being the source of all blessings. But then on top of that, still expressing our dependence. Lord, you're the father of all the blessings. You're the source of all the blessings that I have. Thank you for those blessings. But Lord, I'm totally dependent upon you for anything else that I will have in the future. And then if I could add, and you want to write in a little note in addition to that, I think the Lord's point, again, not in this text but implied, is be generous if you do have abundance. Be generous with it. We're in the middle of Lottie Moon Christmas offering for missions around the world. You say, well, I have tons. I got plenty. Maybe someone's sitting here this morning, and this is the honest truth. Jeff, I don't really have to pray for daily bread. Literally, all my bills are paid, and I have $10,000 in the bank. Somebody else may say, $10,000, nothing. I have $50,000 in the bank, and all my bills are paid. Someone else may say, I've got a quarter of a million in the bank, or half a million, or you may have a million in the bank. Not to scare us. I just want to be realistic with you. You need to go back and study what happened in Germany following World War I and leading up to World War II and partly what led to World War II. They had these things called reparations that they had to pay back after World War I. It was part of their punishment. They could not pay those back. Their economy went into a tailspin. They had what's called hyper, hyper inflation. I mean, it got so bad. People thought they had lots of money in the bank, but their economy collapsed, and whatever they, whatever they had, it would be like us, dollars. I have X amount of dollars. If the economy goes bust, you can have all the dollars you want. They won't buy you anything. It got so bad in Germany, if you went to eat at a restaurant, they couldn't put the price on the menu because it was going to cost more by the time you finish eating than when you first sat down one hour earlier. So you can think, well, I'm good. I'm not dependent upon the Lord. We are always dependent upon the Lord. And so when I read this, 
I'm going to now add to, but I don't think I'm harming this passage. I think verse 11, 12, and 13 has a couple of phrases that are implied, and I've already alluded to them. On it quickly. I think the implied phrases are these. Father, thank you for providing what you've already provided. But Lord, I'm dependent, and therefore, would you please give us our daily bread for this day? Thank you, and please. I want to say some things that I've said almost word for word as I'm about to say them. But I think, honestly, I could say them every three months, and it it should be timely. Thanksgiving, we just had that Thursday, and it fits right here. Thanksgiving, guys, is more than being thankful. Taste that. Thanksgiving is not having gratitude. The other day, I had to run an errand on Wednesday, flipped on the radio. The usual people weren't there. I guess they had their day off. Some national person was on, and I know they're in Los Angeles. I was listening to him, and he came on after a segment, like probably around 1 or 2 o'clock, and his thing was, uh, hey, happy day before Thanksgiving. Hope you're feeling thankful. I'm I'm feeling especially thankful today. I don't know everything about this man, but I'm pretty sure he's not a Christian. Catch what he just said, because I want to make a statement. I'm not saying he's an atheist, but an atheist can feel thankful. An atheist can feel gratitude. An atheist can look at a big spread on their table and all the family gathered around and the kids run around having a good time. Everybody's healthy. All the bills are paid. There's just a good spirit in the air and they're thankful. That is not thanksgiving because an atheist is not going to verbalize their thankfulness to the person who deserves to hear the thank you for it. And so to finish this exercise, I want you to do something. Internally, really do this. Think of a recent physical blessing or spiritual blessing or a recent relational blessing or a recent financial blessing. Can you have some of you, recent financial blessing, hey, that literally wasn't planning on it, literally just happened. Or, wow, had a great, we had a tremendous Thanksgiving. It was so wonderful, great day of relationships. Okay, maybe that's yours. Maybe it's something spiritual or maybe it's something physical. God, help me. I had this issue and God has helped. It's a blessing. So here's my next question. You got one? Do you have one? If you're sitting there saying, I, I can't think of anything in those four categories, you have serious issues if you can't think of a recent blessing. You ate yesterday, right? If you didn't eat yesterday, you see us after, and we'll get you some food, and then you'll have something to be thankful for. I promise. You have your thing ready? Did you, have you yet literally gone face-to-face with God and said, Lord, thank you for that, thank you for that specific? Have you done that? If you haven't, I always like, not always, but I like to ask this question. What if we only got to keep at the end of each week, what we went face-to-face with God about and thanked him for in the previous week at some point? What if you only, today's the first day of the week, what if on, on Sunday, you, the only thing you have, spiritually, physically, relationally, financially, anyway, you only get to have and keep what you thanked God for very specifically over the last four, seven days? 
your eternal life, your Bible, the Holy Spirit, your spouse, your kids, your food, your job, your roof, your bed, your refrigerator, your coffee cup, the little coffee maker, the running water, the toilet. I could go on and on. We have lots of things. What if you only get the key? Because, guys, I'm going to make a contention that of all the people who've ever lived, and I mean literally all the tens and tens and tens and tens of billions of people who've ever lived, we may be the single most blessed people in the history of the world. You say, who's we? This group sitting right here. You say, where do you get that from? I'm not an expert, but I know a little bit. As I look back over history, there is no other time that I would want to be dropped into. I like this one. It has its challenges. I realize we got a lot of access to sin, but I sure did like when my t- kids turned 16 and started driving. Now, here's a cell phone, and I want to know where you're at at all times. I like that. We have a lot of things going. And of all the places, if I could live in any of the time periods, I like this one. If God were to say, hey, guess what? I don't do this for everybody. You get to pick. How about that one? All right, done. I didn't get to pick, but I'm in to me the best time. And of all the places in the world, I like here. I like America. I like the Southeast. I'm not snobbish toward other places. Please understand. But God has really, really blessed me. We have a lot. I would rather live, I mean this, I would rather live in my house, its whole 1,900 square feet, than in a king's palace of 100 years ago. You're like, Jeff, king's palace. I'm not saying value for value. If I could own one or the other, but I could sell them, I'll take the king's palace of 100 years ago. If I have to live in it, I want my little house. You say, Jeff, that's crazy. They've got a a fireplace in almost every other room. They've got these high ceilings. They have a servant that's blowing a fan on them. They've got fresh grapes. I don't care. I like hitting a little button that makes my air come on or my heat come on or I've got a bank account and a car. We can go over here to any of these stores. We can buy anything that we want to eat that they did not have back in that time. We are blessed. I just can't think of anything to be thankful for. We're dependent. It's always grace gifts from God. And we're supposed to be giving thanks, expressing our dependence, and seeing them as gifts. Number two. So we're going to give a shot to go for verse 13. So we're skipping verse 12. And let's talk about this morning. We don't only pray for physical provision, but we pray for spiritual protection. We pray for spiritual protection. So verse 13, notice it. Jesus says, pray this to the Father. Again, I believe implying, please. Father, would you please lead us not into temptation? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What are we praying for? Spiritual protection. Now, here's the thing. Third week in a row, here we go. We have a difficult phrase, right? Does your mind already see this? My mind was struck with this the other day as I'm reading it. So three weeks ago, we're, three, three sermons ago, we're looking, at, we're looking at this word kingdom. God is a king and God's sovereign over all things. So whenever we read the Bible, we have to determine, is it talking about the current kingdom of God or is it talking about the coming kingdom of God? 
Then we have this word will, and that seems really strange. Why am I asking a, an, an omnipotent, sovereign God who has the power to do anything he wants to do, anything he wishes, anything he desires, why am I asking this God, do what you desire? He already has the power to do anything he desires. So that takes us to this understanding. There, there is this stated, predetermined purposes that will be done, that are hidden, the details are hidden. And then there's these written down Commands, laws, precepts that give us the moral desires of God that are not being done. That's what we're praying for. So we had to kind of work through kingdom. We had to work through will. And now we have this word temptation. This is a, tr- this is a troublesome word. Does this mean, now let's think. Jesus says, pray this, Father, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Does it mean God the Father winds us up and over here, eh? Huh? Oh, there we go. Wham! Ha! What are you doing chasing after that? Now get back over here. And off we go. And here's the temptation. Lead us not into temptation. Why are you praying that? Because, pow! If you don't pray, that's what he's going to do. But if you'll pray that God will not lead you into temptation, then maybe he won't do that. Oh. Well, what is God leading us into temptation for? He sounds pretty mean. I thought he was a good God. I thought he was a holy God. Why does he keep leading us into temptation? All right, well, let's pray and go home, and uh, we'll think about that. Well, no, we need to, like, yeah, what's happening? So, again, I want to return to the teaching that I borrowed from a little earlier with the chart, borrowing again from Positive Action for Christ. And, again, this is not direct quotes from them. This is a blending of their thoughts and our thoughts and other people's thoughts. Uh, to reach some conclusions, but they're the springboard of this. I almost regret this is so outlinish today, so I kind of regret that, but I, I don't know any other way to get across. What is this lead us not into temptation? What's this prayer? The problem is that the same word tempting, temptation, can actually have different ways of being used in the Scripture, and we need to decipher what are those ways of being used. And so... One of the things that Positive Action for Christ noticed is that in other places, besides this, but also in the book of James. So if you have your Bible, flip over. You want to go there, the book of James. We'll start in chapter 1. Each of the three ways, at least three ways, that this idea of being tempted or temptation can be used in Scripture, each very different. They can all be found in the book of James. And I wasn't here when Mike preached on these verses. I think he preached on these verses. So we're not going to dig in here. We're just going to touch on it for the first one. Three different ways this idea of being tempted or a temptation is seen in the book of James. So we need to find these so we can understand what is this prayer request. James chapter 1, James introduces himself in verse 1. Watch verse 2. Really internalize this. Because here's what we're going to find. I think I, have, I need to give you the word, the, the phrase first. The first potential meaning that shows up in the book of James of temptations is tests of endurance tests of endurance this is one of the ways that temptation can be used look at verse 2 count it count it all joy how much of it do we need to count as joy count it all joy what about a head cold (laughs) count it All joy, my brothers, when you meet 
Again, I haven't dug through this passage, but I'm already struck by this word meet. I'm not going and looking for trials. I'm living life, and along the way, along the path of living life, I meet trials. What should happen? The Bible says, count it all joy, my brothers, talking to Christians, when you meet trials of various kinds, all kinds, physical trials, financial trials, relational trials, mental trials, spiritual trials, struggles, count it all joy. Why? For you know, you're going to count it because you know that the testing, testing of your faith produces steadfastness. This ability to hold the line, to not give in to sin, to not fall backward, to just to st- stand. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I'm not going to dig into all of that. If you're taking notes, write this down. Notice the second word, God designs. I am not saying God allows spiritual, physical, financial, relational struggles. I'm saying God designs these kinds of struggles. Why? Because he wants his children to grow and be molded into the spiritual image of his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ, which we saw last week was one of the stated, predetermined purposes of God that will be, that will be done. These are things, listen to me, I would never choose these for myself. You would not choose them for yourself, but they are going to happen because God is going to make us stronger physically. I've said before, bodybuilders... And marathon runners are not just born. I know there's some marathon runners. They have a genetic advantage because it seems like a lot of them come from Kenya. (laughs) I don't know what the deal is there. But they're not just born marathon runners. They're not born bodybuilders. The other day, uh, um, Deanna and Erica were out of town. We were at a restaurant, a former student of mine. Uh, He looked familiar, but he looked a lot different. And he stood up, and he's a bodybuilder. And I'm reminded, bodybuilders aren't born because I remember that kid when he was in the seventh grade and he didn't look like he does now. He is literally a bodybuilder now. Bodybuilders, marathon runners, are not just born, they're made. There was a time, the first time, when an hour in the gym seemed like a long time. There was a time when a mere 10K, just a mere six, seven hour, six, seven mile race seemed like a lot. And some of you are like, Uh, That is a lot. I know, that's a lot. Not now, not to a marathon runner. That's a warm-up. That's just a little warm-up. That's just a little something you do in the off-season just to kind of keep your muscles stretched out. But at one time, that seemed like a long time. A couple weeks ago, we noticed this. We are born again spiritually. But when you're born spiritually, your spirit becomes alive, awake. You literally have this relationship with the Lord. You're not strong. You are not strong. You become strong by physical, spiritual, relational, financial struggles. Literally, we have to go through the struggle, and it is the struggle that will make you stronger. God is going to test Abraham all through the book of Genesis until he gets to the ultimate test that we know where he asked him to sacrifice his very son on an altar, and Abraham was willing to do it, though God stopped him. God didn't jump to that test. He built him to that test. So there's these tests of endurance. This temptation that I have to go through, these trials, they're good for us. Number two, there's the enticement to sin. 
This is what we usually think of. We think of temptation. We think of enticement to sin. Look at James chapter 1, just across the page. Look at verse number 12, James chapter 1. I'm skipping several verses, but it's the same flow of thought. I don't have time to connect it exactly, but watch verse 12. James says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. They don't give in to sin. They don't quit. They don't fall into despair. They don't fall into discouragement. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. But now watch because he switches gears or he introduces another aspect of temptation that often will play off of that, but he wants some clarification. Look at verse 13. Let, it's almost implied the word but, let no one say when he is tempted, hey, you're blessed if you stay the line and continue steadfast. You're going to get the crown of life. Verse 13, but let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. Don't say that. Not in that way. Your faith may be tested and your faith may stretch, I mean, really, really thin. And then God gives you a break and your faith comes back thicker. And then God stretches again. You think, that's it. I'm not going to make it through this. Oh, but you do make it. It almost snaps, but it never snaps. And God keeps building your faith more and more and more as a bodybuilder builds his body more and more or a runner builds his endurance more and more. God is almost going to snap our faith, but he never lets our faith snap. In that process, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. No, God cannot be tempted with evil. He's just not tempted by it. And he himself tempts no one. Well, what if in the process I fall into sin? Each person, you don't blame it on God, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed, literally fishing terms, lured and enticed by his own desire. Then, we know the process, desire when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Temptation, if we don't deal with temptation properly, we keep continuing to be tempted and looking and beholding and desiring. All of a sudden, that initial wrong thought turns into a wrong desire, turns into a wrong action, which always turns into death. Well, it's God's fault. What James is saying is, if in the process of life you are enticed to sin, never say that is God that is doing that. That is you. It is your fault and my fault when we give in to sin, when we fall into sin. Third, flip over to chapter 4. What's the third idea? You see the difference, by the way? Everybody should see a very clear difference. There's test of endurance, difficult struggles, and then there's an enticement to sin that happens as we go through life. And then we have this third thought, the assault from Satan. The assault from Satan. I'm jumping in the middle of, of a point being made by James. I apologize for that. I don't have time to, to give the background. Look at verse 6. But he gives more grace. Catch this. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, the Bible, probably an allusion to Proverbs. Therefore, it says, quote, watch what the Bible says. God, oppose, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Look at this verse again. 
God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Look this way very quickly. Here's what James is trying to say. He's giving us a warning that as we go through life, there is spiritual opposition that, that opposes people. If you are a proud person and you buck up against God and you have this idea, you're very haughty and proud, and I'll take on eternity. I've done a lot of, lot of good on my own. I can go to heaven on my own. I'll go to a good place. I don't need God. Okay, you buck up against God, and he will oppose you. Warning. Never be on the wrong side of that confrontation. You will always lose. You don't want to be proud being opposed by God. What do you want to do? You want to submit yourself, bow down, humble yourself. But James on the heels of that says, Now, the proud and haughty, you are going to be opposed by God. Those of you who submit to God and humble yourselves, guess what? You're going to be opposed by Satan and his demonic forces. You're going to be opposed. You say, well, it sounds like either way we're going to be opposed. If you submit yourself to be used by God, you can count on being opposed by Satan and his demonic hordes. Count on it. It's going to happen. So the point here is not that these two spiritual forces are of equal power. They're not. God is omnipotent infinite in his power but the point is Satan and his demonic hordes are much more powerful than we are and so here's what Christ, here's what James is saying don't get on the wrong side of being opposed by God but when you surrender to the Lord you will be opposed by satanic forces you say Jeff come on do you guys really believe in the whole demons and devils and absolutely do you really believe that they harass people and attack people and try to you know assault us absolutely mark it down if they assaulted if satan himself assaulted jesus himself in the wilderness in his 40 days of temptation and in the garden of gethsemane then you can count on it they will surely oppose you and i these are facts this is a fact this happens and this will happen this does happen and this will happen assault from Satan. So here we have three things. We have a test of endurance, enticement to sin, and over here we have an assault from Satan. Three ways this idea of tempting, and we're already wondering, so what does Jesus mean back in Matthew 6? Before we tie it together, let's quickly notice three responses, proper responses, specific responses to specific temptation. Go back. You're in James 4. Go back to chapter 1 very quickly. Do you see it? James 1, how do we respond to a test of endurance, a trial, a struggle, a difficulty, a temptation? How do you respond? Listen carefully. Rejoice. Rejoice. Verse number 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Notice the first three or four words. Verse 3, for you know, for you know. The testing produces steadfastness. Count it all joy. Leave James very quickly. Run over to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. I want to read the first five verses of Romans 5 to solidify this point. When we're going through a test of endurance, what's our response? The biblical response is literally to rejoice. Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, this is what the previous chapters are about. Since we didn't have to work to earn our salvation, since all we did was believe the Lord Jesus Christ to receive our salvation, justified means God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ has declared us righteous, then what's the fallout of that? What do I get for that by putting my faith in Christ? There are lots of things. Here's a list. 
Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, here's, here, here's what happens. We have peace with God. We were the proud, the arrogant, being opposed by God. Now we are no longer enemies of God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's the first thing. We're not going to go to hell. Number two, verse two. Through him, here's more of what we have. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So we have access to God, and to have access to God is to have access to grace, and we're going to need grace not only to escape hell, but by God's grace, we're able to live this life. But it continues. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. What do I get because I've been justified by faith? You can have hope, guaranteed expectation, that the glory of God, which is real, will actually be experienced by you. You're not going to miss out on it. You're going to have the glory of God. So you can go ahead and rejoice in that hope. But it's still not done. A strange thing in verse 3. Not only that, but we, sounds crazy and strange, we rejoice in our sufferings. How? Same word as we had in James 1. Knowing that the suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame, but God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We know that now another thing, we receive the Holy Spirit, but in addition to that, we actually rejoice in our sufferings. Catch what I'm saying. What's the response to tests of endurance? It is to rejoice how? By faith. Somehow, some way, we believe the Bible and we take an eternal view. God, I don't know what you're going to bring out of this. This is not really a lot of fun. Not something I would have picked for myself. But I am choosing by faith because I know some theology. And I'm going to go ahead and consider it so, listen, that you're using this very trial to make me stronger spiritual, spiritually and much more like Christ. So I will rejoice not just having peace in the trial. I will actually have joy for these trials. I will have joy for this. Thank you, Lord, for this thing being put into my life. What's the proper response to temptation? Test of endurance, rejoice. Let's write this quickly. Enticement to sin. How do we respond? Yes, I'm being tempted to sin. Sweet. No, don't rejoice. Don't rejoice. This is not time to rejoice. What do we do? Run. Run. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 18. You can study it later. Flee from sexual immorality. Flee. Sexual immorality, you can finish the verse. Second Timothy chapter 2, it's other places. There's a passage that says, flee idolatry. Notice Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. You want to be a vessel in the household of God that is for God's glory and not for dishonor. You want to be a vessel for God's glory. Then you have to get rid of the dishonorable things in your life. Listen carefully. What do you do when you're tempted to sin? There's somebody this morning, you're sitting here, you're like, I am being tempted very much by this certain thing. In fact, it's been whipping me this past week. Well, what are you doing about it? Verse number 22 of 2 Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, so flee youthful passions. Flee youthful passions. But the verse isn't done. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Let me make a quick application. Ready? 
We are running from some things because we're running to other things. We're getting away from certain people because we're insisting to live life with certain kind of people. So check your life. Who are you living life with? Who are you letting influence you? If the people you're living life with are not helping you pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, then you need to be not spending time with them. You can minister to them, but you don't spend time with them. You're being influenced by those who are going the same direction away from youthful lust. Enticement to sin. Joseph didn't sit there when Potiphar's wife came on to him like she did and just like try to bear it and hold up under it and withstand. No, he left. And I know it ended up costing him in the short term, but God had a great plan for him in the end. And then number three, the assault from Satan. You can sense the theme already. We're going to use another R. You don't rejoice. You don't run. What about when devils literally come attack me? Don't run. You resist. Resist. You don't rejoice. It's not something like, yes, great, I've been wanting to get in another battle with spiritual forces. No, you don't rejoice over this. You don't run from them. What do we do? Resist. James chapter 4, look at, listen to verse 7. James 4, listen to verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. Remember that. Resist. Here's a promise. He will flee. Resist. He will flee. Now, let's go to Ephesians. And this will be where we'll kind of finish up, though there'll be one last little verse after Ephesians. Let's all go to Ephesians chapter 6. Let's go there quickly. Ephesians 6. Let's talk about this assault from Satan. James 4, 7, resist. Ephesians 6, verse 10, our men's group. I think coming up men's group next year, we'll probably read this little small book that, that our group went through. What we learned is in the early part of Ephesians, Paul is wanting the Ephesian believers to learn how to sit and rest in the finished work of Christ. And then we need to take that, that resting and that strength we draw from Christ has already done everything. That helps us walk through life. But as you're going through life, you're not going to be unopposed. You're going to be opposed. So here comes the demonic forces being put out under the command of Satan himself. I don't think I've ever encountered Satan. I'm sure he's got better things to do than to worry about me. But I know I have encountered demonic forces. Watch verse 10. So finally, he's getting to his last major point to the Ephesians. Finally, be strong. That implies this can be done. Be strong in yourself. No, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. It's the Lord's power. It's the Lord's strength. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. How is this going to happen? Put on the whole armor of God. Watch verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to just bull rush and run, slap over those demonic forces. That is not what the text says. Watchman Nee helps us understand this. Again, he says, Paul says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. How are we victorious? What are we strengthened for? To go conquering. No, we stand. Why? Christ already conquered. We're just standing. Amen, Tyler. Verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. You're like, oh, yes, I am wrestling. I've got somebody. They really are my antagonists. They're just being used. Verse 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, 
against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Jeff, do you think this is real? I know it is real. Verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. What do we do? What do we do? We resist. Look down at verse 16. I'm skipping for time's sake. Look at verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. Keep believing. Keep trusting. Keep relying. Keep depending. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation. That's our salvation, our assurance, a whole new way of thinking as a result of our salvation. Our spirit is alive. Take the helmet of salvation. You're going to need this shield of faith. But verse 17 continues. And the sword of the spirit. Oh, this sounds like a a defensive and an offensive weapon. Finally, we have something on the offense. Yes, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, which is the spoken word, specific rhema portion of God that fits the occasion. And then he rounds out his technique of being victorious over devils Paul says praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication and you can read the rest of verse 18 write this down well actually we're not there yet you hear this James says what about when I'm attacked resist Paul says stand listen what do these words mean these simply mean hold your ground hold your ground It's the ground that Christ has already fought and won. You're not fighting to win ground. You already have ground. Satan wants to come. Listen, he likes to isolate God's children, and he likes to intimidate to see if he can get you to back up and give up ground that Christ has already won. Don't give it up. You say, how do we not give it up? What if they, like, really come at me? They're really attacking me. I'm feeling it physically. I'm feeling it. I just can't explain it. I'm just being really bombarded. Don't you give up. This is going to sound like preacher talk. Jeff, that's just preacher talk. No, it's not. When Christ had a battle with Satan in the wilderness in the 40 days of fasting and prayer and temptation, and again in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before the cross, Christ, guys, listen, this is not preacher talk. He showed us how to defeat devils every time. How do you defeat devils every time? You do this. You submit yourself to God in prayer. You submit yourself to God in prayer. He did it in the wilderness. He did it in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then on top of that, you use the specific portions of Scripture and you start rehearsing those to the enemy. And what the Bible says is, eventually, they will leave you alone. It wins every time. Whenever we get to the point, we stop praying, stop surrendering, and stop rehearsing the specific portions of Scripture that are needed. Somebody like say, what are these specific portions? It may be Ephesians 6. Your specific portion of Scripture may literally be lock into what Ephesians 6 and what James 4, verse 7 is teaching. How does Satan attack us? Man, I can tell you from experience, he's going to attack your identity. You're not a child of God. You're not secure. You're not a saint. You're not part of the body. You don't have access. Guys, do you know... Do y'all know how often I pray and at the beginning of the prayer I don't feel like I really have access? He's like, yeah, what do do you do there? Just believe, take up the shield of faith and start rehearsing some scriptures? I've tried to give them out over and over. If you don't have one, shame on you. 
Jeff, what do you do when you're struggling in prayer? I get my same old verses out, and I go over them again and again. Effective prayer must have faith. Four or five passages. Effective prayer must be in Jesus' name. Have a passage there. Effective prayer must begin with confession. Verses there. Effective prayer includes thanksgiving. Effective prayer must be for God's will. Must be to God. And it must be for specific requests. And I go over those and over those. And all of a sudden, here comes the faith. But I don't just let because, well, I don't feel like I have access today. I guess they're going to win. I've got other things. No. I'm going to lock in. And I'm going to pray and surrender and rehearse the passages of Scripture that fit the battle I'm in right then. Don't give in. You don't have any purpose. This isn't really going anywhere. You don't have like real hope. Oh, I have real hope. And then learn the passages of Scripture. So I close with this. Would you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10? Some of you knew we would finish there, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So what does Jesus mean when he says, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. Are you with me? We'll be done in a moment. You with me? Watch this. Does this mean, Father, we need our daily bread, all our physical needs daily. Please give as a gift and a favor. And would you lead us not into temptation? Is, is Jesus saying, pray this, Lord, please don't lead me into an enticement for sin? That's not the prayer request. God doesn't do that. Is it this request? Lord, please don't lead me into a place where I'm going to have a test of endurance come my way. Nope, that's not the prayer request because those are good for us in God's time and in God's proportion. Those are good for us. That's not the prayer request. What then are these sources of temptation? What is this evil and evil one that I need to, need to be delivered from? Listen, the sources of evil is your own flesh, this world around us that opposes God, and demonic forces that oppose Christians who have been submitted and surrendering and are being used by God. It's yourself, the world around us that hates God, whole different value system, don't buy into what they're, they're selling, and then demonic forces opposing us. That's the sources of temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, Paul tells the Corinthians, Therefore... Let anyone, no, I'm sorry, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you, Christian, that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. This is an amazing passage. I think it's a great passage to couple with Matthew 6.13. Read it again. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So I have a quick question, and I'll wrap up. You ready? Quick questions. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Which of these temptations is common to all Christians? Which one is it? Test of endurance, enticements to sin, or assaults from Satan. All of them. All of them. You say, test of endurance, I'm going through something, please listen. Whatever is unique in your world, I'm telling you, you're not the only one who's ever gone through that. I promise you're not the only one. I feel like I'm the only one. You're not the only one. Nor am I. 
enticement to sin. There's some things that entice you that don't entice other people, and you're thinking, I'd never let anybody know what actually tempts me. I'd never be allowed to go back to the church again. Listen, you're not the only Christian who's ever been enticed by that. If you're a true Christian, you're not the only one. Others have been enticed by that. And you're surely not the only Christian who's ever been attacked and assaulted by the devil. So what are we to do with this? I think the the prayer request of Christ affects each of these areas where we're vulnerable. I think it's this. Sorry I ran out of room on the handout, but I think it's this. Father, you know me. I'm prone towards sin. Left to myself, I am prone towards sin. I need you to lead, to, to pursue righteousness and faith and love and peace and just make me go that way. Don't let me. Don't let me go my own way. You always be leading me and pull me towards you. I need that. I think it's this. Father, when you allow tests of endurance to come my way, please, God, don't ever let the result of it be where I cop out and I stop short of what you have provided and I end up falling into despair and discouragement like somebody here today. I'm almost full of despair and full of discouragement. Lord, help me never get there. Help me, Lord, lead me to be delivered from evil. And in particular, if I had to pick one of all of these, I think it is that last one. Lord, when they, those enemies, those spiritual forces are opposing me, let me not give up one ounce of property that Christ has won the battle for. Let me hold the ground that you've already won. Ultimately, I could say this. I don't have time to go there. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 to 23, Christ was raised from the dead. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, literally over all authorities and powers, over all of them, and I'm in him over all of them. Lord, just always remind me that they lose and we're more than conquerors. We win every time as we surrender in prayer and as we rehearse the promises you've given us. Lord, lead me in that path. I know there's some tests, and I know that I am vulnerable to enticement, and Lord, I know I'm going to get attacked. But, Father, don't let me give in to sin and don't let me give an inch to them and don't let me fall into despair. Would you close your eyes just for a moment? I just want to ask you a few questions. Thank you for your attention today. I didn't know if we'd finish this, but the Lord allowed that. When you pray, talk to God. Listen, listen. Talk to God about your past and your present and your future. When you pray, talk to the Father about spiritual needs and physical needs and mental needs. When you pray, talk to the Lord about body, soul, and spirit. Christ teaches us literally, you have needs, the Father has the supply. Make your needs known. And so guys, I want to real quickly, stay with me, hang with me. Physical needs, do you have any? Do you have them? Do you just kind of like rehearse them? I have needs. Have you taken them to the Father and said, Lord, I I could really use this. Lord, I know that you have it. If it is in your sovereign plan, would you please give this? I'm dependent totally on you. I'm not relying on what I have laid up in the refrigerator, the pantry. I'm not relying on my own health, apparent strength of the day. Lord, I'm relying totally on you. I'm dependent upon you. And in that whole process, I've got to ask, guys, How is our thankfulness? How is our thanksgiving? Earlier when you thought of a specific blessing, can you in your heart say, I have gone face to face with God and said, God, hey, by the way, 
thank you. You gave that to me. And I haven't, it happened a week ago. And I haven't said thank you for that yet. I am doing that now. Express your dependence. Express your thanksgiving. Acknowledge that he's the source. And lastly, somebody have spiritual needs this morning. Literally, I'm wondering, is there someone this morning, your prayer to God right now would be this, Lord, would you give me some faith? God, I'm, I'm in a test. You've designed it. And you have good for me in it. Would you give me faith to actually believe that theology so much so that I rejoice? Maybe you're here this morning, you're in a trial, and this is your prayer request. God, would you give me spiritual strength to endure? I want to endure. I want to be perfected and complete. I don't want to bail and fall down in discouragement and despair. Lord, help me to stand. I'm wondering, is there another Christian? So those are praying on that request. Is there another Christian this morning? This is your prayer request to the Lord. Father, you know exactly what's been tempting me, and I'm... I feel I'm about to yield to it or I have yielded to it in recent days. Lord, help me to have the wisdom to flee from it. I need wisdom to flee from it, to get away from a specific temptation. And then somebody here. You're mature enough spiritually to know you've been attacked by the enemy and your request is, Lord, remind me. Remind me. Let me see myself in Christ in him at your right hand above all other authorities and we're over them and they don't have the power over me and they lie and I'm going to claim my position I'm going to claim my access my confidence my assurance when they try to test me I'm really not a Christian Lord I will go back and rehearse specific passages of scripture all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and so, Lord, help me to rehearse and to claim what you have given to me by right. So, Father, I commit this group to you. Lord, thank you for letting my voice hold up today. I, I didn't have a lot of faith. I, I lacked faith in that, and you gave grace. Lord, would you use this message? Maybe too outlined, I don't know. But Lord, would you use something in it to help every person here today grow and be better prepared to withstand. And Lord, may we ask you to lead us not to temptation, but deliver. And Lord, may we acknowledge you're the giver, we're the receiver. It's always gifts, and we're dependent upon you.